you have your Bibles, turn to John, so we'll just get right to preaching this morning. Uh, several months ago, uh, early in the year, uh, we, uh, I, I'd begun, actually last year, I began to preach through the Gospel of John on Sunday mornings at our church there uh, in, in Tankafu, and, and uh, as I got into the Gospel of John, I just wanted to be able to go through the highlights of the Gospel of John, because, it, you know, if you're a preacher, you'll understand that sometimes you're preaching, it's like every phrase says, preach me, yeah. preach me, preach me. Yeah. It'll take me 10 years to get through it. And so I'm like, I'm just going through the highlights. But I got hung up in John chapter 1 and verse 29. And I, so I'll turn your attention there, John chapter 1, verse 29. And in just a moment, I'll read verses 29 through verse 34. But I began there at our church to focus on the Lamb of God. Yeah. And that one message on the Lamb of God turned into uh, six messages that took two Sundays per message to be able to preach through my translator. And, and so I'm going to try to do a lot of compressing this morning and to give you the highlights of some of that series on the Lamb of God, uh, some things that the Lord gave me this morning. Brother Heath was picking on me this morning. He said, I've got some notes if you're, he saw me working on my outline, and he said, i got some notes if you need some help. I said, brother, I'm trying to take stuff out of my notes. I'm not trying to add to my notes, amen, though his notes would probably be much better than mine, Amen. All right, but, but John chapter 1, verse 29 through 34, if you want to, you can stand as I read here this morning. John 1, verse 29. The Bible said, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, that means look, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me, Cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and that abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw him bare record that this is the Son of God. And if you'll just go to verse 30, 36 real quick, two verses down, one more time he says, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, behold, the Lamb of God. Let's pray and then you can be seated. Lord, we thank you for this message from your word that we're going to deliver this morning. I'm thankful, Lord, for the message of the message. I'm thankful, Lord, that you are the Lamb of God. And as we examine the Son of God as the Lamb of God, as we examine this theme in the Bible from eternity past to the last chapter of the Bible. Lord, I pray you'd work in hearts. Lord, I pray for sinners that are here and never been introduced to the Lamb of God. They don't have the Lamb of God in them. They're not in Christ. God, I pray they'd leave and that would change. And I pray you'd remind those of us that are saved, the Lord God, of the relationship that we have towards the Lamb and that the Lamb has towards us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this morning I'm preaching on the Lamb of God, and as and and I'm just going to give a quick intro. Uh, most of you know what I'm going to say here as as I begin, but it's just a quick refresher. As we study the Word of God, we know that when Adam sinned, the whole human race was represented in Adam, according to Romans 5 verse 12, according to Romans 5:18, 19a. The entire human race, you and I, we are represented in the first Adam. That means we're sinners. Because as by one man, Adam, sin came into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men 
for that all have sinned. And so the entire world today, from then to now, is under the condemnation of sin and the penalty of sin because of Adam's fall. Romans 6.23 teaches us that the wages of sin, it doesn't say might be death. The wages of sin is death. And that word death there is separation from God. It is separation from life for eternity in the lake of fire. And so, just to understand this morning, before Adam sinned, God knew Adam would sin because he's a God of foreknowledge. Please, if you're a visitor, don't, don't think for a moment that this church is Calvinist. Amen. We do not, we do not confuse foreknowledge with forecause. God did not cause man to sin, but God is omniscient, and God knew that man would sin. And so in his foreknowledge, he prepared a way of salvation for sinful man. And in his omniscient plan, it was determined in the counsels of God that the Son of God would be born of a virgin, that he would live an absolutely sinless life while being tempted to sin, and that he would ultimately suffer, bleed, and die on a cross for our sins, and then show ultimate victory over sin and its penalty by raising from the wages of sin, eternal death, physical death, all that separation from God. And so God also knew that while he had a plan in place, that this plan would not literally take place until 4,000 years of human history had passed. Adam would sin, it'd be 4,000 years, now once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so God created a plan that would hold back his judgment of eternal death on sin without compromising his holiness or his justice. In the counsel of God, God determined that a sacrificial system be put in place whereby an animal could be killed, the animal's blood shed, and, and uh, th that the bloodshed of that animal would temporarily cover sin and hold back the righteous judgment of God upon sin until the Son of God could come and die on the cross for our sin and be buried and raised again. And while multiple animals, as you look through the Old Testament, multiple animals could be used for various sacrifices, the primary animal that God would use and accept in this all-wise plan would be a lamb. And this lamb would, would literally, if, if you understand the creation of God, if you understand the omniscience of God, nothing ever occurs to God. Didn't just like God said, oh, you know, there's a lamb. I think that is what will represent my son. The lamb was created by God to be the representation of the lamb of God, the son of God. That's the whole purpose for the lamb's creation. And so today I want to give you probably just three points. I could give you six, amen, but I won't. But, but, but I might just allude to them as, as we go through. But I want to talk about this plan of salvation and the sacrificial lamb and then Christ as the lamb of God. And so Jesus Christ would come on the scene one day as we got to our text, John chapter number 1. And, and, and as John the Baptist saw his cousin, speaking from an earthly point of view, the Lord Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, he would, he would see him and he would say, Behold! Stop and look. And can I say this morning, if you've never met the Lamb of God, you need to stop and listen this morning. Amen. 
And with the eye of faith, you need to start looking this morning as we preach the word of God. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And every Israelite on that day knew what John was saying about that man. Because they understood their sacrificial system. They understood that a lamb had to die and its blood had to be shed if there was going to be an atonement, if there was going to be a, going to be a covering up of their sin until the following year when another lamb would be shed, uh, would be killed and its blood shed and a sacrifice made for the nation. And so year after year, sacrifices and lambs and animals are killed and blood is shed. But one day Christ comes on the scene and John the Baptist looks at him and says, twice, behold, the lamb of God. Now, this, this idea then of Christ, a man, here's a man being called the Lamb of God. We think about all the time Christ is the Lamb of God because of our knowledge of the Word of God. But how many of you are aware that only four times from Matthew to the book of Jude is Jesus Christ, actually three times he is alluded to or directly called the Lamb of God, twice in the chapter we just read. Once in 1 Corinthians, he's called our Passover lamb. And in 1 Peter, he is likened unto a lamb. So from Matthew to Jude in the New Testament, there's only four times where Christ is mentioned as or alluded to as a lamb until we come to Revelation. And I'll come to this later in the message, but 28 times. And by the way, the same writer, John, behold the Lamb of God. He's recording the words of John the Baptist as he says that. He writes 28 times calling Jesus Christ the Lamb of God in the book of Revelation. We'll come back to that a little later. Now, now uh, let me just ask a very basic question as my first point because I like to alliterate things when I can, all right? And so I like to use the word W here. So I want to talk about the why of a lamb. Why, why when God determined, when God created this sacrificial system, when God uh, put this plan of redemption in place, why a lamb? I'm not being sacrilegious. Please don't walk out of here thinking I'm being disrespectful. But why not a donkey? Why not a monkey? Why not a dog? Why not a cat? Why specifically a lamb? Why did God choose a lamb? Here's, here's this system of lamb sacrifices for 4,000 years. Now the Son of God comes walking across the, the, the wilderness of Judea. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God. Why why the lamb? And it's obvious that John is presenting Christ to the Jew and really to the Israel and to the world. Uh, one day that would read these words. He's, 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 he's introducing Christ as the lamb of God, which fulfills the picture of redemption by the sacrifice of the lamb. But why did God choose a lamb to start with? That's what I'm after. Why did God choose a lamb? Why did eternity pass? Because we come to Revelation, they see Christ as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So why did God choose a lamb? And I want to just give you two, 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 two reasons quickly. I, I believe God gave us a lamb. God created an animal called a lamb. And God put within the nature of that animal two things that would be a perfect fit for that animal being the sacrifice for sin. And that would ultimately point to Jesus Christ as being the sacrifice for all sin once for all and forever. Number one is purity. A lamb is a pure animal. Uh, the Bible refers to Christ in 1 Peter chapter number 1. The Bible says, for as much as ye know that you're not redeemed, you're not saved with corruptible things as silver and gold, received by vain conversation and tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, who as of a lamb without blemish 
and without spot. The lamb was an animal that could be a pure animal, even, even in its coat of wool that God gave to the lamb. God uses this terminology much in the Bible, speaking of uh, that, 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 that wool and coat. Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So we see the whiteness of its wool. We see the purity of the lamb without blemish. It would be a wonderful picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is necessary because the, the reason a lamb has to be sacrificed for sin to start with and the reason the Son of God has to be sacrificed for our sin to start with is because of our sin. Our sin is not pure, it is impure. Our sin is not incorruptible, it's corruptible. Our sin is wicked and filthy, and we need our sin to be washed away eternally, taken away eternally. And so the idea of a lamb, it's a pure animal. And when God gets through with you and I, amen, once we receive Jesus Christ as our lamb, amen, we can be washed as white as snow. We can be as wool, pure and white in the eyes of God, amen. And that's absolutely necessary for the salvation of our soul, for, for that lamb to be pure, for the lamb of God to be pure. We know Jesus Christ is the sinless son of God. I could go to multiple verses, but this is where I want to make my focus this morning. And I'm trying not to, okay? But I'm just simply saying that there are, there are, there are hundreds of verses in the New Testament alone speaking to the purity and the sinlessness and the impeccability of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so... I'm going to bypass a lot right here, amen, uh, and you'll be glad I did later on, all right? But then I want to say, not just in its purity, but in its submissiveness, in its submission. A lamb is one of the few animals that you can take it to the slaughter, and it is submissive. A lamb is a docile animal. It's a very gentle animal. Now, I know we're likened to sheep in the Bible. All we like sheep have gone astray, Amen. But, but in this picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, a lamb would be a submissive animal. In fact, in Isaiah, in chapter number 53, verse 7, that Isaiah giving a prophetic reference to the suffering and death of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who would die on the cross for sin, he said he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't fight. He didn't revile when they reviled him. He didn't try to somehow cause a struggle. Even when Peter took out a sword and took off the ear of Malchus, uh, the servant of the high priest, as they were arresting Christ, Christ said, put up thy sword. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? He was submitted to his father's will. The Bible said he is brought, here's, here's, here's the analogy, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. The lamb goes to the slaughter. It's a pure animal. It's a submitted animal. And it's a perfect picture of Jesus Christ in his purity and his submission. Philippians chapter number 2 verse 8. The Bible said being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Here's the God of heaven. The God of heaven becoming a man. Humbling himself and becoming obedient to death. God is the definition of life. God does not have to suffer physical death. But God as life will suffer death. God the creator will suffer annihilation as a man on purpose, intentionally, as he submits to die for our sin. That's why God chose a lamb. There's so much more. There's two messages. I could preach right there. Amen. But can I tell you, the purity and the submission 
of the Lamb. That's why God chose a lamb. That's why he's the Lamb of God. That's why he's called the Lamb of God. One of the reasons is because of his purity. He was without blemish, and he was submitted to his Father's will, and he did that for you, and he did that for me. Amen. And then I want, I want to get to the work of the Lamb. I really want to focus. I've got one point I really want to focus, and I'm trying to get there quickly. But let's look real quickly at the work of the Lamb. What was the work of the Lamb? We could talk about the wisdom of the Lamb. You can develop that thought later on. Amen. But the work of the Lamb. The, what was the work of the Lamb? Well, we think of that Old Testament Lamb. That Lamb was brought. It was, it was sacrificed to provide a temporary covering, the word atonement, to cover for the sins of the people. Its, its life was given, its blood was shed, their sins were atoned for another year. And all of these lambs, hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of lambs, they were killed throughout the Old Testament for 4,000 years, all pointing towards the Lamb of God who would suffer and bleed and die on the cross willingly for your sins and for my sins. Amen. And so what was the work then of the Lamb of God? Well, we see right in our text, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. See, church, we got a problem. And the problem is we're all sinners. I, I've, met, I've met a few people in the world that said they weren't sinners. Just in making the statement they weren't sinners, they sinned. Amen. There was the sin of pride. There was the sin of lying. Amen. All have sinned, and you know it's the truth. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. There's not a just man upon this earth, Ecclesiastes 7.20, that doeth good and sinneth not. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeketh after God. I'm quoting Bible verses to you. We're sinners. All of us. And that's a problem because our iniquities, our sin, separates us from God. God is in heaven. God created man, according to Revelation 4.13, so that he could fellowship with us, so that we could bring pleasure and honor and glory to him in eternity future. But we sinned. We sinned in Adam, and we've sinned now that we're alive. Amen. We've sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. We can never get into God's heaven because we have this problem of sin. Even in the Old Testament, I won't address this much, I'll just say this much. In the Old Testament, when they sinned and that lamb's blood was shed, that lamb's blood in the Old Testament, that physical animal called a lamb, when its blood was shed, it couldn't take away sin. It could only cover sin. So that's why they had to have it over and over. Read Hebrews 9, read Hebrews 10, over and over and over again. Lambs are being killed, blood is being shed, sin is being covered. So the Old Testament saint, when he died, he didn't go into the presence of God in heaven. He went to the bosom of Abraham in the center of the earth. And that's something to be preached about at another time, amen. He, nobody could come into the presence of God in heaven until Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. It was impossible. His blood had to be shed. His blood had to be placed on the mercy seat in heaven for you and I to be able to have entrance into heaven and to be able to sit in the presence of God. Heaven is truly a sin-free zone. No sin, nothing that defileth, nothing that worketh abomination, nothing that maketh a lie can enter into the gates of heaven ever. So we have a problem because we are inherently sinful. We are sinners. We are evil. We are filthy. We are depraved. We are wicked when compared or contrasted with the holiness and the righteousness and the purity and the sinlessness. The, the, the sinlessness of God. 
we, we, have this pro, we, have this, we have this problem. So in the Old Testament, over and over, lambs, lambs, lambs. But here comes Christ as the, behold, the Lamb of God. What's, what's he coming for? He's coming to take away our sin. No longer will sin just be covered with a blood sacrifice, with a blood sacrifice, with a blood sacrifice, with a blood sacrifice. But now once in the world hath he appeared to put away sin. Christ would take my sin and just that alone. Do you know before I got saved, my sin guilt was so great. If you've ever read or watched the Pilgrim's Progress, that burden that he had on his back, man, that's how I felt, man. And I didn't realize how strong it was until the moment I got saved and the burden was gone and the guilt was gone, amen. But can I tell you, just my sin alone, that's an unbelievable amount of sin to be placed upon the back of the Lord Jesus, to him who knew no sin, the pure son of God. And so my sin and your sin and your sin and your sin and the sin of everybody in this building and the sin of everybody in Sioux Falls and the sin of everybody in South Dakota and the sin of everybody in the world from, from the time that Adam was created to the last man that ever lives was placed on Jesus Christ. And the Bible said this, he became sin for us who knew no sin. Christ literally died, Isaiah said, for our sins. First Corinthians 15, for our sins. He was wounded for our iniquities. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him with his stripes were healed. So he came to take away our sin. He's not just putting a cover on. If, if, if this right here is sin, he didn't just come to put a covering on the sin. He didn't just say, I'm going to take and cover that sin up where nobody can see it for another year, for another year, for another year, for another year. Christ put away sin. Christ took away sin. Christ, you say, where is it? It's gone. Uh, you say, what do you mean it's gone? It's gone. My sin was judged in Jesus Christ, and my sin is gone. Amen. Because he took it away. He put it away. It, and listen, you may be here saved by the grace of God, and you're haunted by your sinful past, but can I tell you, there's an old song where you sing down south, what sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. Amen. My sins are gone. The Bible said, as far as the east is from the west, hath he removed our transgression from us. Man, you go east, you go west, you'll never come to where they meet. Amen. You'll keep going west for eternity and east for eternity. That's how far our sins have been removed from us. Amen. They're gone. He came to take away sin. He came to redeem us with his blood. See, the whole reason he took away our sin was so that he could buy us back. So that he could redeem us back to the one who created us for his own pleasure. But our sin could never bring pleasure to him. So he came to redeem us with his blood. You see, it's an awful truth, but without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. So all those innocent, pure, submitted animals in the past, they died, they died, they died. Their blood was shed, their blood was shed, their blood was shed. They never sinned. It was the people they were dying for that had sinned. It was the people that they were dying for and their blood was being shed for that had to have their sins covered. But when Christ came, he literally shed his life's blood for you, my friend, and for me, and for all of us. Man, now our sins are taken away by the shedding of the blood. Have you ever heard the song, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Some of you here, you're trusting in the church you used to go to. Some of you might be even trusting in this church. God forbid, amen. Some of you say, well, I got baptized, and there's no way that water is going to take away your sin. 
you'll go down a dry sinner and you'll come up a wet sinner and your baptism cannot save you. Water has never, cannot, nor ever will take away sin. Only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ could take away our sin. The Bible said in Revelation 1, 5, the last part of the verse, and, and, and hath washed us from our sins in his own blood. Amen. My sin was black. They was washed in his red blood, and I come out white as snow. Hallelujah. Amen. So the work of the Lamb was to take away our sin, to redeem us from our sin. How would he do that? Now, here's, here's where I want to get into, and then I'll get into my last point in just a moment. How could he, how could he take away our sin and his blood be shed? What, what's the process? I want you to turn real quickly to Revelation, the book of Revelation, because we're going we're gonna to end the message here in a little while. Revelation. I want you to come over here to Revelation chapter number 5, Revelation chapter 5, and I want to come to verse 6. Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 6. I wish I had time to get into the story of Revelation 5. I do not. We'll jump right into the verse. He says in verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, capital L. This isn't an animal lamb. This is a reference to the Lamb of God. Watch the next phrase. Stood a lamb as it had been slain. The purpose of the Lamb of God, the work that he had to do, it's not just a, it's not just a jingle at Christmas time. It's not just a trite saying. He was literally born to die. Christ was born so that he could ultimately be the Lamb of God who would die for our sins. But he couldn't die of natural causes. He couldn't die of normal causes. He had to die in the way that an Old Testament lamb would be killed. He had to die a violent death. The word slain there, if you looked at the Greek word, the root word from which it's translated, it literally means to butcher what it means. God knows language pretty well, amen, since he created language. God didn't just say he saw a lamb as it had died. He saw a lamb as it had passed away. God said, I looked and saw a lamb as it had been slain. And this speaks to the way that Christ would die because Christ couldn't just die anyway. I want to say very emphatically here, it is not the death of Christ alone that saves us. It is the bloody death of Christ and his burial and resurrection that saves us. Amen. It has to be that way. He couldn't just die where his blood was not shed. His blood had to be shed so that he, see, see again, I want you to understand, Christ is not just, he's to, he, he is not just, because I think we get this backwards in our mind. Christ is not just what the lamb is pointing to. Christ is the reason the lamb was created and the reason the sacrificial statement was put in place to point to him. That was the shadow, but Christ was the substance. I think in our minds sometimes we think Christ, the lamb of God, that's the shadow, but the physical earthly lamb, that's the substance. Not so. The earthly lamb, that was the shadow of things to come. Christ was the Lamb of God. All those lambs that were slain from 4,000 years in the past, they all pointed towards Him. The way they had to die, they had to be sacrificed in a submitted fashion onto an altar, and their blood had to be shed. And there's, can I just tell you, I mean, I don't, personally, I don't think there's any nice way to die. Amen. But dying in a manner in which my blood is shed is not a way in which I really care to die. Amen. 
I'd, I'd, I mean, I'd like to die in my sleep or something. I mean, just, just it's over, right? I, I fall asleep and wake up in heaven. I'm okay with that. Amen. Dying in a way in which my blood is shed, that means there's going to be hurt. That means there's going to be pain. That means it's, I'm going to feel it. And me and pain, we are not friends. Amen. We didn't go to the same school together. I hate pain. I, don't, I feel like pain sometimes. I think it's my friend, but I hate pain. I don't like pain. Christ had to die a painful death. He had to die a violent death. The Bible uses terms. I think we miss it because we, some of us are raised in church. We hear it all the time. He was wounded. It hurts to be wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. Let, let somebody carry through the process of giving you a bruise today. It will hurt. Let somebody wound you. It will hurt. You say, why would Christ do that? Why would the Lamb of God do that? Why would Jesus do that? For your sins and mine. He did. Hey, listen, some of you here, maybe you're visiting, maybe you just go to church here, and you're trying to, you're trying to punish yourself, you're trying to penalize yourself, you're trying to do penance somewhere, you're trying, people all over the world, religions are trying to punish themselves to somehow gain entrance to heaven. Can I tell you, you can't punish yourself enough, you can't wound yourself enough, you can't penalize yourself enough to go to heaven, you never will because you're a sinner already separated from God, it's too late for all of that. Christ came as of a lamb without blemish. He willingly, as a lamb, offers his life at Calvary. And they hit him in the face with a blindfold saying, which one of us just hit you? That involved pain. They ripped the beard out of his face. That involved pain. They put a crown of thorns on his head. That involved pain. They took and they nailed him to a cross. That involved pain pain, his hands and his feet, the way that he died. The Bible said in Isaiah, the last verse, I think, of chapter 52, his visage was marred more than the sons of any man. When they got through with the Son of God on Calvary, he was a bloody mess. You say, preacher, why would anybody do that? Because he loved you, and he loved you, and he loved you, and he loved you. He loved me, and he didn't create for us to, he didn't create us to be separated from him in eternity future. He created us to bring pleasure to him and the only way we can bring pleasure to him is to be with him and he knew we would sin he knew we would violate him he knew that we would we would separate ourselves from him and he put a plan together before we ever did whereby we could be redeemed from all that mess brought back to him and be saved by the grace of God and normally I would end the message right there but I have one more point that's a very serious point that I must give this morning I want to talk about my third point the wrath of the Lamb. Because, because when we look at this point, this, this point don't make sense. This point, anything that you've ever studied about a lamb, about a sheep, or sheep, it doesn't make sense. But in Revelation chapter 6, if you'll turn there quickly, Revelation chapter 6, I want to read you several verses. Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. And the Bible says here, actually, we're just going to come, yeah, we'll, we'll read from verse 12 to 17. I don't have a translator, so I got the time to do it. Amen. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. Now, this, this is talking about a time that's yet future. This will be the middle point of the tribulation period. There's a seven-year tribulation coming after the rapture. We're not getting eschatology. I just want to get you the context of this, when this is going to happen. And lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together. Middle of the tribulation, future time, Antichrist ruling and reigning. 
about to institute the mark of the beast. And this earthquake comes. And just for a brief moment, and up to now, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, for those that understand eschatology, everything that's happened can be explained away as natural phenomena. It can be explained away as Mother Earth. It's just a bad weather system. It's whatever, all the names they want to put on it. But from this point on in the tribulation, nobody can explain it away. They know what it is. The Bible, God said, I'm rolling heaven back just for a moment. The Bible said heaven was rolled back as a scroll when it's rolled together and every mountain and island moved out of their place and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath, whose wrath? The Lamb's wrath. The great day of his wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand? When we think of the wrath of the Lamb, it's an oxymoron. It's a contradiction of terms. Because lambs are not wrathful animals as we know them. I already said lambs are docile animals. They're very peaceful animals. These verses are strange verses. But they are sure verses, and they're serious verses. I believe, I believe Jer, uh, uh, J. Vernon McGee said the wrath of the Lamb, it's not a passion, it is a principle. Think about that. God's not an emotional God. God does not make emotional in-the-moment decisions. This is a principle from eternity past, a part of the redemption plan of God that I hope none of us have to ever experience. You say, what's that? The fact that this animal called a lamb would die, its blood would be shed, it never sinned, that it never fought. It just died over and over again, over and over again, over and over, for 4,000 years, hundreds and thousands and millions. And now the lamb. And he comes to his own, and his own receive him not. He's, he's the son of God, and they crucify him on a cross that he created. They mock, and they say, if you're the son of God, come off the cross. And he stayed there peacefully. We sing the song, he could have called 10,000 angels to deliver his soul and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died for you and he died for me. He died peacefully because that was always a part of the plan. But this part of the plan we don't talk about a whole lot. See, not everybody receives the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God died for your sins. He was buried he rose again. The whole purpose of your creation and my creation was to bring pleasure to God in eternity. But if you and I don't accept the Lamb of God, if we don't receive that tremendous sacrifice that he made on our behalf, if we don't yield and submit to his sacrificial work at Calvary, then we're slapping God in the face. We're saying your purpose for our creation, it's worthless. And your plan of salvation, it's pointless. And if there's a heaven, I'll get there my own way by trying to be a good person. And you might as well be slapping the Lamb of God all over again. He died once. He'll not die again. His was the last sacrifice for all sin, for all men, for all time, forever and ever. And you can trust it today because he's a merciful God. 
You can trust it today because he's a loving God. You can, you can accept him today. You can accept the Lamb of God for your sins because he's a gracious God, because he is slow to anger, but he is rich in mercy, and he is plenteous in mercy, and he stands ready to forgive. And for all those who say, oh, not me, not today, not now. I want to live my own life. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to submit to the idea of, uh, that I'm a sinner. I don't want to admit that I'm a sinner so bad that I have to have an outside Savior that I can save myself, you see. I can be a good person. I can be a, a good Baptist and give myself to heaven. Can I tell you, there's coming a day when the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon an unrepentant, unreceiving of the Lamb of God world. Let, let me just show you that. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, I don't always quote him, but this is a good quote. He said, if men and women will not yield to the love of God and be changed by the grace of God, then there's no way for them to escape the wrath of God. Wow. God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. But God's a gentleman, and he will not force you against your will. He won't. He will let you make the decision to accept the lamb, to accept his love, so that you in turn will love him of your own free will. Amen. So let me just say this as I wrap up the message. The wrath of the Lamb is strange. Strange to think of a time when the whole world that could be accepting today of the grace of God sees the Lamb of God in heaven just for a moment. And they say, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. How awful the Lamb must look on that day. For them to see him visibly and say, hide us to flee to the rocks and to the mountains and to the caves. And to try to hide themselves from the wrath of this. We're not just hiding ourselves now as Adam and Eve in the garden because we're going to be caught for our sin. We're hiding ourselves because that man died for our sin. Look at him. Look at his condition. He's a lamb as it had been slain. We can see the wounds. We can see the bloodshed. We can see it all. And he's angry and he's coming back, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel. Strange. Nobody hangs up a sign that says, beware of the lamb. We hang up signs that say, beware of the dog. But on this day, they're going to beware of the lamb. Christ is not going to be a lamb in a manger and our kids doing a little manger scene around him. And Christ is not in that day going to be our Easter passion play and the resurrection of Christ and standing there with open arms as we preach him today, as we preach him this morning, standing ready to forgive because he loves you so much. On that day, Christ is going to be standing as the judge of the world. And when they see him, you know, here's, here's how I was taught to think. I was taught to think, well, he's the, he's the docile lamb of God now. But then in eternity future, he is the line of the tribe of Judah. But if you read Revelation chapter number 6 or chapter 5, when they were trying to open the seven-sealed book and there was no man to open the book, you know what the Bible said? He said and, and John starts weeping because there's no man to open the book. John hears a voice saying, weep not, son of man, for the line of the tribe of Judah. That's, that's how we think of Christ in eternity future. He's the line of the tribe of Judah coming back to judge and make war. But he said, the line of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book. And you know what John said? John said, I saw. I turned and saw. What, did he see a lion? That's not what he saw. He's called the lion. But John said, I saw the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If you sin, 
against the offer of salvation that the Lamb of God has put in for your soul, you sin to your own destruction. You can go out and you can live in sin, my friend, and and there's penalties for that sin, and you can take those physical consequences that will inevitably come. You can come to a place of salvation and accept the fact that Christ took the eternal consequences for all of your sin. But this sin is different. The sin of rejecting Christ is different than any other sin because you're rejecting your own salvation. You're rejecting your own eternal future. You're rejecting the only heaven that you will ever know, that you could ever know. You're rejecting the one who loved you so much that he let them hit him. Some of you guys here, maybe you've been down at the MMA or maybe some of you, I know some here are boxers, amen, and done some boxing and you know all that goes on. And so I, I, I've, never, I've never boxed because, I, again, I don't like pain, amen. I'm, I'm assuming it's a painful sport, so don't ask me if I want to box afterwards because, no, I do not, amen. The older I get, the longer the pain lasts, amen, all right. But I'm saying, it, man, that, that stuff hurt. Christ got hurt for you. Christ got wounded for you. If we could say it this way, it looked like Christ lost for you until he rose from the dead, amen, because he allowed them to put him to death on a cross. You say, why would he do that? Because that's why he came. That was the eternal plan of God. It, Calvary wasn't an accident. It wasn't a, man, I don't know how that happened. That was always the plan of God, that he would come as the Lamb of God and die for your sin and die for my sin. And so you reject him one day. You will not face the loving Lamb of God one day you will face the wrath of the Lamb of God. And if kings and great men and mighty men are saying, let's run, let's hide, let's flee the wrath to come, you'll be in that number too. You're not going to be standing there in the face of God Almighty. Can't happen. So it's, so it's strange. Their only safety would have, been, would have been hiding in the Lamb as opposed to hiding from the Lamb. Amen. Man, the, 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 lamb, the lamb is here for you today. If you're lost, you can be saved today. If you're a sinner, you can be saved and forgiven today. You say, you don't know what sins I did. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter. God's already got it. He already paid for it all. It's not like he has to suffer more because you committed more sin yet. He's already paid for all of your sin. And you could be saved today. But if you don't get saved today, let me just read a few verses as I close and say the wrath of God. It's sure. I want you to listen. In our text, this is not a metaphor. What the apostle saw in our text will come to pass one day. For over 6,000 years now, we're 2,000 years removed from Calvary, from the lamb being slain. For over 6,000 years, men have scoffed God, mocked God, murdered his prophets, penknifed his word, crucified his son, resisted his spirit, scorned his love, and to this day persecute the followers of the lamb. And even if, if we go back to Revelation, we're not going to. Just before the verses we read, the fifth seal was open, and the souls of them that were martyred for the cause of Christ, they're crying out from under the altar. How long, O Lord, faithful and true, dost thou not avenge our blood? There's coming a day, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. All those sins that the ungodly have committed and those hard speeches that ungodly sinners have spoken against the Lord, there's coming a day we're going to face that. We're going to be judged for that unless we get our sins under the blood of the Lamb today. Psalm 2. I don't have time to read all. I'll just read a couple of verses. Jude 1, Psalm 21, 8 through 12. All these places speak 
of the day when the wrath of the Lamb is poured out upon this earth. Real quickly, here's two I do want you to read. Luke 23, verses 28 through 30. Jesus, he's going up Calvary's hill carrying his cross as the Lamb of God. And some ladies from Jerusalem, they come next alongside of him as he's carrying that cross and they're weeping. As they go, they're weeping for him. And I want you to listen to his words even on that day. While he's dying because of his love and mercy for you and I, even then he's warning that judgment's coming. He said, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming in the which they shall say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. They shall begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. What's he talking about? When they say, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Do you, he's, he's going up Calvary's hill. He's going there to die for our sins, but he knew there would be some then and there'll be some now that will reject him. They said, don't weep for me. I'm doing this because I love you. Weep for yourselves because if you reject my love and if you reject my display of love and if you reject my sacrifice for you on Calvary, the days are coming you're going to wish you were never born. The days are going to come you're going to wish you never brought kids into this world. The days are coming when, when, when your grandchildren will say, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. He's pretty serious. And then one more and I'm done. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 9. These are serious verses. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. And to you who are troubled, that's those followers of Christ who are being persecuted by an unsaved, Christ-rejecting world. Rest with us. To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus, this is the Lamb of God, who's now the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who still appears as a lamb as it had been slain when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Watch the next words. Taking vengeance on them that know not God and obeyed not the gospel. I want to make a very serious statement. The gospel is not just a fact to be uh, uh, believed. It is a command to be obeyed. You will accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You will accept the Lamb of God for your sin. Or he's coming back in flaming fire taking vengeance on everyone that knew not God and obeyed not the gospel. And the Bible said, who shall be punished? If you're here this morning, this, this is why I'm a missionary. This, this is why I go where I go. This is why I try to be a witness everywhere I am because I, I don't look and see people. I see souls that have an eternity. You're going to live for eternity, friend. In either heaven or separated from God in hell. And, and he's coming back, and the Bible said, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Can I, can I just tell you, John the Baptist, when he came preaching way back in those early days, he was preaching, flee the wrath to come. Can I tell you, I'm preaching now in the end of the last days, flee the wrath to come. Flee the wrath to come. Wrath is coming. It's coming. Every time you breathe, you're one breath closer to the wrath of God. Every step you take, you're one step closer to the wrath of God if you're lost, if you're not saved. Every day that goes by, you're 24 hours closer to everlasting destruction being poured out upon you and Christ taking vengeance on you for eternity. The Lamb who could be your Savior. The Lamb who is the lover of your soul. The Lamb who was sacrificed for your sin if you reject Him. Scorned love is not appreciated by the Lamb of God. And he will judge one day. I hope to God, 
as the pastor said earlier, he was imploring us in the Sunday school lesson, I implore you today, if you're not saved, God loves you so much. He's made his move for your soul at Calvary. He's, he's died on the cross for your sin. But beware, if you reject him, if you say, oh, just another day, just another week, just another month, I just want to have a little more fun, I just want to have a little more sin, can I tell you, one day, it's going to be one time too late, and you're going to face the wrath of God. Let's pray. Lord, I'm turning the invitation over to the pastor. Lord, as I do that, I pray, Lord, as they have the invitation, God, I pray that you would deal with sinners' hearts. I pray if there'd be anyone here today not saved, pray they wouldn't leave this building lost. We have no guarantee we'll make it home today. We, I, I can't, man, I hope everybody is back next Sunday. Lord, we have no guarantee we'll make it out of these church doors and make it to our homes today. God, I pray, I pray, Lord God, if there's folks here not saved, they get saved. And for those that are saved, I pray, Lord, we'd realize the great responsibility we have of reaching those around us with the gospel message of the Lamb of God who loved us and died for our sins. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.